And uh, I'll never forget that following morning, we're, we're getting nudged awake. And I, I, I roll over and there's an AK-47 at my face. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Larry Roberts back with another awesome episode of the Readily Random Podcast. Man, I got a guy today. He's got a heck of a story. I mean, not just a story. He's got a ton of next level type adventure stories that cover the globe. And we're going to talk about some of those adventures and misadventures. And we're eventually going to end up in South Jersey where he's a landlord and a real estate investor. So we're going to kind of look at the the adventures that he went through to get where he's at today and how he got there because, man, it is a very unique story. So let's talk right now with Mike Bonadies. Mike, what's happening, man? Hey, Larry. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Super excited to talk to you, and I I just really appreciate it. I think we're going to have some fun times today talking about some crazy stories. Yeah, dude. I mean, when, you know, you, you come from from the Podmax family, that's where I was introduced to you and how we got you on the show. They recommended you as a guest. So of course, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, they always have high quality guests. So I'm all about that. But Rachel, the booking agent there, she gave me a little backstory on some of the properties that you've invested in and some of the things you've stumbled on. But before we go down that route, tell me a little bit more about Mike and some of these wild ass adventures you've had across the globe. Yeah, I originally grew up in South Jersey, and, and South Jersey was all I knew. Like, I hadn't traveled anywhere during, you know, growing up. I really only went to, like, Pennsylvania, you know? Like, it was like, you know, during my childhood, I hadn't gone anywhere. And so I went to college. I really liked Indiana Jones when I was growing up. And I was like, you know, during my college years, I want to travel a bit. So I decided I would go to the Middle East because, A, I liked Indiana Jones, and there was always those Middle Eastern themes in there. And B, I had seen in the media, like all these things said about the Middle East. And I always had a healthy amount of paranoia or um, let's say a disbelief with the media said. I was like, let me go confirm. Let's see if this stuff is really real what's going out there. And I decided, hey, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to live out there. So I spent time living in Morocco, in Turkey. And while I was out there, I decided to hitchhike through less, you know, less hospitable areas. I went through Syria and Iraq. I was doing in, in both those areas during the Arab uh, Spring Revolution and just after, uh, you know, the war in Iraq and all that kind of stuff. So there was still definitely a lot of, uh, more hostile than, you know, let's say uh, the, from the media's perspective, more hostile than it is currently in 2021. So yeah, I, I went out there. So, so hold on, let me jump in there because you're saying from the media's perspective, it was more hostile. As an American in that environment during I mean it's there's usually conflict over there from our perspective anyhow but during this time it was the height of conflict I mean how did you walk out of there with your head <laughs> so I think a it wasn't as crazy as the media had portrayed it right like oh god you know like bullets flying everywhere you know and it, it, you know you know half the towns are on fire etc a I don't think it was as crazy as that without diving too deep into it it is absolutely uh, especially when I was in Syria and Iraq hitchhiking it, the conflict was much more about the groups within Syria and Iraq than external factors so if I came in as a an American wanting to learn you know the, the culture and learn more about them they were just incredibly friendly i mean we put it in perspective because i think iraq really captured this we took a rental car out to the border of where turkey and iraq hit each other it wasn't like i flew to iraq 
We went to the border, like all the way down in what you would call Kurdistan. And we couldn't take the car across because we didn't have the right paperwork. So we decided to park the car at the border and just ask people as they came, you know, through, hey, can we hop in your car? Because we need to get across to Iraq. They were like super friendly and they just let us in. And we didn't have a plan at all once we got across. Like we were just like winging it. We were like, hey, you know, we'll figure it out where we're going afterwards. Yeah, we don't really know where we're going anyway. We'll just find people and travel with them. And uh, that's what me and my, it was me and my friend, I wasn't alone completely james he was an australian so we definitely had the american australian like we had two different passports it looked a lot less suspicious if it was just two americans you know going across so we had just hitchhiked into Iraq, and there we just got in with another individual who was going to we went to Arbil, which is the, the capital of kurdistan and we just said hey you know we need we don't know where we're going this sounds like a great town let's go and they took us there i think uh one of the the mistakes you made when going across, which made it more fun, is we thought Turkish money was going to be more useful than American money, so we you know, converted everything to Turkish money. We were wrong, and we couldn't use the Turkish money anywhere. So the first night that we spent in Iraq, we had nowhere to go because our money was useless, and it's not like there's banks everywhere. And, you know, you could go to the ATM and take out your card and use it. This is a little bit before when smartphones were definitely not common, etc. We pulled up a nice patch of grass and we slept out in the, in like, one thing. it wasn't really a park, but it was just like this, like, you know, patch of grass in this town. And uh, I'll never forget that following morning, we're, we're getting nudged awake. And I, I think it's my buddy, James. I think he's nudging me awake and he's like, yo, Mike, you know, go, wake up. And I'm like, yo, dude, like, I'm just still sleeping, etc." And I roll over and there's an AK-47 <laughs> oh at my God. face right here. For, for those that are just listening, it's at my forehead. And where I guess we, in our in our uh, sleepless stupor, we ended up sleeping like on the side of a base, like of a, not, a, not an American military base, a Iraqi military base. Yeah, I mean, the guy actually ended up being really nice and he gave us instructions, like, like broken Arabic instructions. And I spoke a little bit of Arabic at that time, so I could like kind of conversate, but it was like a lot of hand gestures. And we kind of led us on our way to where we should go next. Thereafter, the other highlight of that trip that made just just so interesting, and I think it segued to the rest of my life, was we ended up walking around and we went to a mosque on the top of a hill in, in our bill. And we ended up connecting with the person who would end up being the Grand Mufti, which is the head religious figure of the Kurdish people who happened to be in the mosque at the time. We didn't even know. He just like, hey, invited us in because it was so odd. Why the hell is this American Australian just out in the middle of it? And he took us around the whole town and he had people help us out and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. It was just absolutely wild. And the people were super friendly and it was just a fantastic time. Definitely a lot of like, you know, what comes next? You just don't know. So yeah, that was a rock and it was just a fantastic time. I love the, the, the adrenaline that you get from trying to have to figure things out. And I think once that sawdust got in my blood, it didn't get back out. So I, I, I kind of always keep trying to do stuff like that. I, I just can't imagine the adrenaline that was flowing through you when you woke up to an AK-47 pointed between your eyes. That seems like that'd be quite the adrenaline dump to me personally. I don't know. 
it's a lot of like uh, this wouldn't be my only time having a gun held to my face in, in, in my travel <laughs> so this way it's a lot of like hey how do you figure how do you diffuse the situation and figure out like what's really going on because it's not usually someone the other times that this has happened it's, it's not usually a hostile hey I'm trying to rob you or take something it's more of like this person doesn't belong here and, and, and well I don't belong here is actually the correct word and why do I not belong here and how do I correct this so you know nothing else happens so puzzle solving but yeah the risks are higher <laughs> puzzle solving <laughs> I don't know when I think of puzzle solving the last thing I think of is how do I not get that bolt to release and, and that firing pin to engage and that hot lead to come out of that barrel that's not a puzzle to me that is just sheer 100% fear I, it's just there's nothing no other way for me to describe it so <laughs> so so how does that all roll around man we go through these wild and crazy times all over the globe going through these adventures so we eventually do we end up back in jersey or how did we end up back in jersey yeah, absolutely. So I, this, I do a number of other travels after this, and I, I loved it. And I came back to, you know, because the fun times have to stop and I have to start making money, right? Like, you got to have a sense of responsibility. You got to grow up sometime, right? And what happens is I come back to Jersey and I, I start working a corporate job, right? Like, I end up doing sales and finance, mainly finance for, you know, DeWalt Power Tools of all things. So I, I liked it, but I was... You know, there's, you're going into the job, you're, you, there's a adrenaline? lack of, yeah, adrenaline, self-guidance, <laughs> self, like, you're, you're, not self-fulfillment, you're, you've got this track ahead of you and you have to, you know, it's very uh, siloed, you know, you know how to get there, but it just wasn't fulfilling. And my buddies who worked at the Walt with me, they heard me do some wheeling and dealing on the phone because I was in charge of brokering deals between Home Depot and and the Walt for certain power tools. And they said, "Dude, what you does, what you're doing, sounds a lot like being a landlord. You know, making deals, real estate investing. Why don't you try that? Because you can make a lot more money for yourself." And I, I looked into it more because I was not a fan of real estate investing before that. I thought that's what like you know, slime bags do with suits and they try to pull one over on you, that kind of stuff. I found that that's not the case at all. And uh, I looked into it and I was like, wow, this is really interesting. I decided to go look at real estate investing and I started to become a landlord. And, and I did it originally for, hey, I'm gonna go make money for myself. But then there's this other subset within property, let's say real estate investing that I specialize in, which is seeing the assets, right? Like lower, income or harder to deal with assets. And I think it's a marriage of, of what I like to do and what can make money. And, and I think that's how I ended up there. Because for those of you who don't know what CMD assets are, it's usually there's some element of crime or it's a, it's a really rough area from a landlording perspective. And the spreads can be very good. It can be very profitable, but you need the personality that can deal with punches. And I was like, wow, this is exactly what I want, right? I get to have all these crazy stories happen to me while I'm, like, I'm managing properties. I have to deal with these crazy situations that you can try to build systems for, but ultimately, uh, you know, it, it, something crazy is going to happen to you. So I get to deal with that <laughs> like I was dealing with in my travels, but then I also get to make money for myself. So, wow, this is perfect. And so that's how I ended up kind of doing C&D assets in, in South Jersey. I thought it was both a, a monetary reason, but also it, it kind of is reminiscent of the crazy stuff that I was, you know, I previously enjoyed. 
Yeah, and as I mentioned before, I'd heard some of these crazy stories of situations that you found yourself in when you're investigating these properties or you're researching these properties, or even after, I'm assuming after you've already purchased the properties, what are some of these things that you've come across when dealing with these C&D level properties? Yeah, so there's one story that always sticks out to me, and, and that is we had to do a appraisal on a rental property. This is not one I owned, but this is what I managed, and we 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 had the appraiser come out to the property to go figure out the valuation or how much is this property worth. We told the tenant, hey, we need to come out there to, to do this. We need to go in and get pictures of all the rooms, et cetera. Should we take a couple minutes? We show up to the property and, and this guy uh, for a living, he is a pimp. And it is two o'clock. It is Thursday. And this guy is- Now, is this two o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the afternoon? Two o'clock in the afternoon. And this guy, okay. he's running his business. So we go in there, we take a, we, uh, we, we take a few pictures, we have to get into the bedrooms. The, you know, his clientele's are turning tricks right now. In the property, they're, they're using this property as their pimp motel. Yes, and we have to say, hey, we gotta get in there, we gotta take some pictures of the bedrooms. And he's like, oh, not a problem at all. Goes to the bedroom door, bangs on the door and says, hey, gotta get out, gotta stop. Praises here, needs to take pictures. Opens up the door, we go in there, we take pictures of what we get in and we walk out. And yeah, you know, like that is a crazy story that we may come across. And I can't imagine, I just can't imagine the pimp going, hey, the appraiser's here. I mean, what, I just can't, I can't fathom that. That's some next level ridiculousness. So, I mean, I ultimately get hired to turn these properties around, but this is the state at which we get them in. And then we ultimately have to get them out of this state. But you get these crazy stories in the meantime, right? Another great example of like C&D property management is we had a, a property in really deep South Jersey, like where the New Jersey devil myth comes from, like very remote. And we got a complaints that, hey, the sewer is, is backing up, it's not working. All right, cool, we'll go get a plumber out there. 24 hours later, or less than 24 hours later, the plumber comes out there, the tenant doesn't allow entrance, like just won't won't do it, uh, won't cooperate. But who knows why? You know, you know. After a certain point, you just are like, mm, well, you know, it, it, it is what it is. But we eventually have them come out again, and uh, our maintenance tech gets in there, and the tenant is defecating on the floor when he enters, <laughs> and the toilet was filled up. But you would think, okay, the next you know thing you would want to do is is maybe use a bucket, maybe use a tub, you know, or let the the plumber that came in when the problem started in. No. They, they thought that the uh, the feasible thing would be to defecate on the floor, and you just you just you just roll with the punches. You're like, ah, okay. Well, you can go clean that up, or we'll have someone clean that up, and we'll just continue on our merry way. You know, like this is these are the states of the pro. You know, maybe more extreme examples of things that you run into, and, and you you know just you can have a system. You can read as many books as you want about property management, but none of it is going to prepare you for when you know get uh, figuratively punched in the face with. <laughs> so, I mean, let's just back this up for a second, Mike. I've heard you talk about you had a nice corporate job and yeah, it wasn't all that fulfilling, but you know, the upside there, the significant upside there is no one's defecating on the floor. Then you have this investment property or this investment, this real estate property management job that you had, not even job, this business that you have. And you have people just yeah doing whatever business they need to be doing, whether pimping or, or pooping. And you went, you know what? I'm going to go with option B. 
<laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think there's a, I get, you know, my life's more interesting. So I, there's that upside that I'm not bored all the time. I hate boredom more than anything else. And I think that's a little bit about there's some entrepreneurs that probably do it just for that sake. Like, you know, if, if you, if you hate boredom, you know, you need to have a solve for it because it, you don't, you don't want your life to be mundane. And I do think, I mean, I cannot say I'm just doing this holistically just for the sake of, of the excitement. I mean, there's definitely a significant financial upside you know, in the long run as this continues to grow out, right? Like, yes, I could have that stability of the corporate job and get the, the pay, but right, like the pay is good right then and there, but is the pay gonna be as good, you know, putting five years of, of dedication into my business? No, I think the business is gonna, it is and will pay out more in the long run than the corporate job. So there's definitely a, a financial incentive why I'm doing it too. It's just- sure, sure. So I, I guess that's kind of where we'll go next is that you are growing a business. You are seeing significant returns on your investments. How would you point someone in that direction that could potentially follow a similar path? I mean, how do people get into C&D level type properties? And I don't even know if I'm using the right terminology because I'm not in the real estate game. So that's why I'm leaning heavily on you to kind of educate us a little bit more. So kind of give us the entrepreneurial side of things. We've taken it from the, the crazy perspective. Now let's kind of look at it from the profit perspective and talk about how others that are listening to the podcast could maybe take some actionable steps to get involved in the similar business structure. Absolutely. So I think it, at its core, it's niche building, right? So uh, that that's how this turned it turned in for me, right? The actual step, or let's say the uh, competitive advantage I had was finding a niche that worked for me, which was these rural C and D assets that no one else wanted to deal with. But if we take that a step back further, there's property, uh, real estate investing has become more popular, especially in the last two years. It's grown in popularity with bigger pockets, et cetera. And I think there's this allure of passive income, right? You put your money somewhere, you park it, and you get these returns. And I think there is a subclass in real estate that allows that, but maybe the returns aren't as high. You know, they're not extremely high. They'll give you something, but they're not extremely high. And I think I looked at that and I said, okay, I, I wanted to start there, but then I realized there, there was these asset classes that could generate more return than if I just passively parked my money there, and but it took more action. And I was like, okay, what is it to get that higher return? And I realized I like that kind of stuff. And I saw, hey, okay, there's more return here, but there's also a reason there's more return here. There's less people doing it because it's harder. It's, it's more difficult. And there's less people managing these assets. So not only is there more return because less people are doing it, but there's a demand for someone that can manage these assets because there's less supply of, of, of that. So it was double primed, right? You, you, I saw, hey, there's a niche here that can be built out. I have the skill set for it, and I can teach others to have the skill set for, or find others, I should say, is the right word, that have the skill set for it. And then we can bring in revenue. You know, it's we can build a business here. It's not just run of the mill carpet and paint on properties that are in, you know, high, let's say, high income earning, a tenant demographic. It's you know, blue collar or sometimes low, in, or low income. It's harder to manage. 
there's a lot of opportunity, but there's not a lot of people that are able to do it. So I found the niche and I built it out and, and, I grow, and I'm i continuing to grow it. So I think that answers your question. If it doesn't, you know, keep prying in. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, it definitely does because uh, that well, leads me to another question. And, and you mentioned something there. Do you, you train people to do the same thing that you're doing now? And do you have a team that you're growing or do you do it independently or... Do you have real estate coaching endeavors that you have on the site? How does all that work? Yeah, so we have 10 employees. Tara Rush has 10 employees, and, and we teach other people. Like, like when I say we teach, I'm teaching my employees to, to manage these assets with me. And I, I show, hey, here, here's how, you know, you do X, Y, and Z, and this is how I've handled this situation. This is how I've diffused this situation. This is how we turn this around. So, I mean, ultimately we're taking a lot of these bad properties and I'm giving you the really bad stories, but we eventually either get those tenants out and we, we turn them into really nice properties and we get, uh, you know, good blue collar working class tenants in there, or, or I do a 40% section eight housing. So, uh, you know, we put good section eight tenants in there and we work with local governments. I mean, an aspect that we didn't talk about is South Jersey is very small town politics. We have towns of like 1,000, 10,000, 5,000 people. So it's very much knowing your community and knowing and working with that community to provide good housing and creating a good brand in, the, in those communities. So we do all of that as well. So it's just crazy getting, you know, deal with these crazy stories. So we do train that, you know, I do have employees that, that help us out with build it, building this machine. And we also do construction as well. So I think that's a good marriage in the property management, especially in these areas. A lot of the housing in South Jersey is built between 1890 and around 1930, 1940. So it's very old construction. A lot of these houses are built like jigsaw puzzles. There's this before code existed. And so we also have a construction company that's around eight employees and all we specialize in is small multifamily properties, pre-1940 construction. We deal with the really ugly stuff that no one else wants to deal with. It, it is truly puzzle solving. You know, you've got this house that's just, that was originally a Victorian that converted to a multifamily property. It's crazy. And and since we spent, since we learned to specialize in that type of housing, and that's what exists here in this in these rental markets, we offer the whole kit and caboodle down there. Of hey, we are a regional special. We've got people that know this region better than anyone else. And continually building on that niche of like, hey, this is what we're good at, and no one else. It, it, there's very limited supply of people who can provide these services. We are absolutely seeing that, no doubt about it. it you, you, there's a lot of people who, they, they look at the spreadsheet and they're like, wow, this is a great return on Excel. And they don't realize all the intricacies that are involved. Particularly, we see a lot of North Jersey investors which, you know, that's the New York City, et cetera. They have a lot of money. Their market is incredibly saturated and they say, oh my God, I'm gonna come down to you know, South Jersey, Swamp South Jersey, where the houses are, you know, not even, uh, less than an eighth of the price of North Jersey. And don't worry, I'll just, I'll just find someone to manage it down there, et cetera. It just doesn't work out that way. You know, they don't realize what they're buying. They don't realize the intricacies of it. And they're like, oh, you know, I'm just, I just bought this triplex out in, you know, some town in deep South Jersey. And then I, and they call me up and they're like, can you manage here? You know, can we go get rents this high or can we go do this? I'm like, you do realize you bought in a town of 300 people and the population is decreasing. It's like a ghost town. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's disappearing. This town is disappearing as we talk. So, I mean, to the success and failure rate, yeah, we do see a lot of rookies buy it in properties they probably shouldn't buy. It probably should be your second, third, fourth, you know, you know, something later than your first property. And that's where you lose their shirt. And we try to help them out as best, you know, especially if they come to us. 
we try to help them out as best I can. And I, I really do. I, I think we've helped a lot of people grow from buying their first and second property to buying their 15th, 20th property. We've been able to help them navigate them. But, you know, they, it's not that they take some bruises on the way, especially if they didn't know what they were buying. I think they do make it seem very easy. And I think it's, you know, like it's pro- any kind of investing isn't just a spreadsheet, right? There's act, there is the rubber meets the road somewhere. And, and I think that's eluded or that's not talked about enough. Like maintenance is a great example. Like people just put 10% maintenance, right? We'll just take 10% of gross rents and we'll put maintenance in for it. Well, if you buy these older homes, right? They, these maintenance costs can be much higher. Even if you do a full rehab, because there's, there's so many skeletons behind the walls of, of different issues that could pop up. And if you're not from, if especially, if the, the investor buys it and then tries to find people after the fact, why well, I applaud their ability to just hop in there, that's where they can get burnt. And I think it's a tough line to hold of like, hey, you need to be careful what you're buying and be very cautious. But then there's also that, yeah, take action, right? Like you want to take action. And I think that it can be difficult in this area for real estate because you are on that very thin rope of like, you want to take action, but if you take action, you can really burn yourself, you know, with a, a property that you bought that you just have no knowledge of. Man, that's it's really awesome. That's what you're doing. I'm wondering, I was talking on a podcast yesterday about the Zoom effect of how people that are seeing themselves on Zoom, they're jumping in and they're getting, well, they're getting their teeth did and they're getting their face did, they're getting eye lifts, they're getting face lifts, this and that. I'm wondering if you're not seeing something similar in the real estate space with like the HGTV effect. Do you, do you have a bunch of people, do you see them jumping in your niche or attempting to jump in your niche because they're watching all these fun flipping shows on the TV and they think they can do it too? And if so, what are you seeing and what is your take on the success rate and failure rate of these people that are jumping in head first because they make it look so easy in between commercials? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, this asset class is interesting. And, and I think, I think you just, you, you hit a, a great point. It is more than just, you, you have to have the experience to deal with the, the, the blows as they go along. And I, I think that is just more important than anything else, being able to pivot and change. And you don't want to get locked down into a, a single strategy. And I mean, in just this year, right? Like we've had COVID come and I know, I believe you're based out of North Texas and we're out of New Jersey to pretty extreme when it came to reactions to deal with COVID. And, and even just that, right? You built this system of property management and you or this business. Like imagine if you're a restaurant or a gym and, and then, you know, the, in the matter of, of the legislation has changed everything and now you have to readapt everything. You just have to be able to roll with the punches and change your strategy to still drive your core product. But you, just, you have to make, you have to be adaptable. You have to be adaptable. You just can't just be like build a system and stick into that system. You have to, you know, make malleable so yeah that's tough man but I, I mean it's the same way in everything you jump into you know i used to own a swimming pool company and i jumped in head first to build swimming pools and guess what you, you just hire subs they're going to come out and they're going to do it for you and then you just collect the money and guess what it sure as heck doesn't work that way i'll tell you that because <laughs> try being the new guy on the block and trying to get a sub out to even do the job and even if you got him scheduled, there's a chance he's not showing up that day because a bigger customer that's been established and been there forever, they're going to go do their work first. So all those types of things, man. And it's that way in every industry. You have to have the experience. Nothing beats experience. And like you were saying, you know, you can get locked into the spreadsheet. You can get you can look at the numbers. Everything checks out. Every, every box is checked. Every I is dotted and T is crossed. And it looks great. But the reality of the situation is it's never going to go according to plan. It's just not. 
And if you don't have that experience, you don't have that background, and you don't know how to react in those situations, you're going to find yourself in a world of hurt pretty quick. So it's great to hear that coming straight from you with all the experience, all the experience, and I mean real experience that you have that's really unparalleled. I've talked to some other real estate investors, and i got to tell you, I've never heard stories like we heard from you today. It's unparalleled. I mean, honestly, I have, again, haven't talked to anybody that's had the wild and interesting ride that you have had so far. And I mean, I'm looking at you right now. I mean, what, you can't be 35. I'm 30. I'm 30. Oh my God. See, and I was stretching it there, man. Oh my God. You, yeah, you you got some years to live yet. I cannot wait. (laughs) I want to catch up with you in a decade and see where you're at and see what kind of crazy shit you've gotten into since the last time we talked. (laughs) (laughs) Um, sure, yeah, I'm sure there's going to be a couple more stories since then. But no, I, I appreciate it. I have no doubt, man. Tell everybody where they can find out more about you and your business and how they can reach out to you if they had any questions. Absolutely. So it's uh, at, we're mainly on Facebook, which is at Terra Vesture Rentals. And you can also email me directly, which is M B O N A D I E S at tvpm.info. And uh, we do business in deep South Jersey. We don't go anywhere else outside of deep South Jersey. So if you're in the area, feel free to hit me up and I'll uh, be glad to, to, to speak with you. That's awesome, man. Thank you so much, man. Mike, I appreciate everything. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate it. Have a great day, brother.